There's something about a crowd of protesters that's captivating. The chanting, the singing, the marching, all of the energy that thrusts a protesting crowd to life comes from one source, resonance. Collective acts of resistance, protests, riots, revolutions, they're all propelled by the force of resonance. And the rise of the internet and social media has meant that the ripples of resonance that have emanated from modern revolutionary moments, such as the uprisings of the 2011 Arab Spring, have been felt all across the world. The internet is the perfect channel for revolutionary resonance, until it is shut down. This is a story about the resonance of resistance and how the state responds to it. It starts in Zimbabwe in January 2019, in a week of turbulent demonstrations that saw the people pitted against the state, Zimbabwe was under a full internet shutdown. The question at the heart of the story is why? Why did the government of Zimbabwe shut down the internet in the face of civil unrest? But our question actually goes beyond this single shutdown. Around the world, the digital rights organization Access Now documented 75 shutdowns in 2016, 108 in 2017, and 188 in 2018. Internet shutdowns are a phenomenon on the rise. In this investigation into the story of Zimbabwe's shutdown, we'll find out why. From the University of Warwick Law School, I'm Anoshami Sagonia. This is Orders in Decay. Zimbabwe has had a long and complex history of unrest. But the latest episode of tension had been brewing since the 30th of July 2018, the day of the general elections. The people had hoped that with a new president, Emerson Mnangagwa, almost three decades of misgovernment under Robert Mugabe would be a distant memory. But a foreboding sign came within days of the general election, when six people were shot and killed by members of the Zimbabwe National Army following post-election unrest in Harare. By December 2018, Shortages in cash, food and fuel meant that President Mnangagwa's glowing promise of a brighter tomorrow had lost its shine. Fuel was the trigger that set the events of early 2019 in motion. The shortage had caused long queues to form outside of petrol stations. Stagnant cars came to represent a nation put on hold as people waited hours to be served. On Saturday the 12th of January, President Mnangagwa announced a rise of over 150% in the price of fuel. This policy was not well received. A national three-day strike was called by the Zimbabwe Congress of Trade Unions and even Mawarire, the leader of the prominent hashtag This Flag movement. It began on Monday the 14th of January. Throngs of protesters came together to voice their anger and frustration. Roads were barricaded, cars and rubber tires were set alight, shops were looted and vandalized. Protesters and police clashed in clouds of tear gas. The cacophony of marching feet and clapping hands that reverberated in the streets of Harare and Bulawayo also resounded across the world as protesters took to the internet to project their resistance. Various iterations of the hashtag Zim Shutdown were used to unleash a storm of text, photos and videos which swept across social media. And then... A message came from Econet Wireless, the largest mobile network operator in Zimbabwe. It read, Further to a warrant issued by the Minister of State in the President's Office for National Security, acting in terms of the Interception of Communications Act, 
Internet services are currently suspended across all networks and internet service providers. We are obliged to act when directed to do so, and the matter is beyond our control. All inconveniences are sincerely regretted. As city streets and neighbourhoods bristled with tension, and as protesters were beaten and arrested, the government of Zimbabwe shut down the internet. An immediate question presented by this story is how exactly do internet shutdowns happen? The internet is described as having an open architecture design. This means that it's not centrally controlled or owned by any single entity. Instead, network operators provide access to the infrastructure of the internet. In an article titled Tracking Internet Shutdown Practices, Patricia Vargas-Leon explains that a shutdown occurs when control is exercised over this infrastructure in a way that interferes with or blocks internet activity. The flow of information is stopped and content becomes inaccessible. This controlling action is sometimes referred to as an internet kill switch. So state authorities don't have ultimate control over the infrastructure itself, and despite what you might imagine when you hear the phrase internet kill switch, governments can't actually stop the internet at the flip of a switch. What they can do is order companies that provide internet access to suspend their services. There is one thing that state authorities need to consider before they do this, though. Under Article 19 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, states have a legal obligation to protect the right to freedom of expression of their citizens. Citizens have the right to seek, impart and receive any information through any media of their choice. The internet is included. However, Article 19 says that this right can be subject to certain restrictions as long as they are lawful and necessary for protecting either the rights and reputations of others or national security in public order, health and morals. State authorities need to have a solid legal basis for initiating internet shutdowns. In January, Zimbabwe's national security minister issued his directives that ordered a blanket ban using Section 6 of the Interception of Communications Act. This is how the Zimbabwean government shut down the internet. The question that remains is why? Why were Zimbabwean network operators ordered to suspend their services at such a crucial time? One answer came through an article in the Herald, the state-owned newspaper. The author, Nobleman Runyanga, quoted national security and stability as the reasons for the shutdown. He justified the decision as one which would stop, quote, the spread of subversive ideas and save the country from a potential period of instability, if not full-scale war, end quote. National security public safety, stopping the dissemination of unlawful content. These are reasons frequently given by authorities following an internet shutdown, according to Access Now. And perhaps this is the obvious answer to our question, that it's about state censorship. In the article, When Do States Disconnect Their Digital Networks? Professor Philip Howard, along with Dr. Shital Agarwal and Muzamil Hussein, explain that eliminating propaganda mitigating dissidents and preserving national security are the most common reasons why governments shut down the internet. From this answer, we can construct an image of a repressive government operating an internet kill switch in order to silence opposing voices. This image isn't far from the truth. In the immediate aftermath of the Zimbabwean internet shutdown, Dr. Alex Magaisa wrote, quote, The internet and social media blackout means millions of citizens have been silenced to the world they cannot tell stories of their suffering. Their voices have been muted. It's a calamity. 
what Econet Wireless called an inconvenience, the people of Zimbabwe described as a calamity. Not only did the shutdown disrupt the running of businesses, schools and hospitals, but it severed important communication lines between families and friends. The internet is also a vital tool for communication for Zimbabweans who live around the world. In this situation, it's often the only tool. My family, my aunts, uncles, cousins and grandparents all live in Zimbabwe. I sent a WhatsApp message to my cousin on the 15th of January before seeing the news of the shutdown. He only replied a week later. Even though my cousin lives three hours away from Harare, the capital of Zimbabwe, and eight from Buluwayo, where protests were also happening, his response started with, Hi, I think the network was down. All social medias were closed here. When the government's response is so far-reaching that people hundreds of kilometres away from the physical unrest are also impacted, the answer to the question of why governments shut down the internet demands a better answer than the ambiguous stopping the spread of subversive ideas. What is at the root of the threat posed by online activism that governments feel it is necessary to completely shut off internet access for the whole country? My name's Anne Alexander. I'm currently Director of Learning at Cambridge Digital Humanities. Dr Anne Alexander can help us answer this question. Together with Dr Miriam Aura from the University of Westminster, she published a paper in 2011 on the role of the internet and media in the Egyptian revolution. For Egyptian protesters in January 2011, the internet was both a tool and a space for generating and capturing the collective force of the people in protest. Activists in the uprisings used the internet to create spheres of dissidence. So the idea underpinning spheres of dissidence is that it really relates to the capacity of activists through a range of different means, including technological, but also, if you like, kind of philosophical, ideological methods to create spaces in which they can imagine alternatives to the existing political, social, economic order. Whilst the toppling of the Mubarak regime in Egypt following the revolution can't simply be attributed to social media and hashtag activism, the internet was an important tool for facilitating the interaction, organisation and mobilisation of the revolutionaries. Dr Alexander explains how this happened. One of the key examples of this was the 6th of April Facebook group. This group was created in 2008. Which was set up in order to promote the idea of a general strike in solidarity with textile workers in the city of Mahalla, Al-Kubra, which is in the Delta. It, it spawned, in a sense, a social movement of, it, of its own, largely because the, the Facebook group gathered quickly around the support of sort of 50,000, 60,000 members. It was a very important demonstration of the scale of, of, of opposition and allowed people who had no contact with each other to see that other people thought like them. And the 6th of April group wasn't the only digital sphere of dissidents. There was also in the immediate run-up to the 2011 uprising, the We Are All Khaled Said Facebook, Facebook page. In this case, it was a page rather than a group, which again became a kind of actually an engine for organising organizing protests. In these spheres of dissidence, a type of energy manifests. One protester that doctors Alexander and Aura interviewed in their research said, quote, to have an online space to write and talk to people, to give them messages which will increase their anger. This is my favourite way of online activism, end quote. What this protester recounted here, this transmission of anger, 
reveals how the internet enables the collective emotions, thoughts, sentiments and feelings of the physical bodies that are protesting in the streets to become disembodied and to emit an energy that radiates across space and time. Different theorists have tried to conceptualise this energy that charges through gatherings of people. In his 1895 book, The Crowd, A Study of the Popular Mind, Gustave Le Bon depicted the physical crowd as inherently irrational and impulsive as a terrain upon which a pathogenic contagion of feelings and ideas could spread and trigger acts of uninhibited violence amongst its members. Le Bon's work has been widely criticised for various reasons, but this concept of the psychology of the crowd is one of the most referenced ideas in social psychology literature, and it has been reiterated since the 19th century into theories of contagion, collective behaviour and de-individuation. Moving into the 20th century, in 1912, Emile Durkheim published The Elementary Forms of Religious Life, which was his examination of religion as a sociological phenomenon. Durkheim coined the term collective effervescence to capture the tumultuous and boisterous electricity that manifests when worshippers congregate. These theories of contagion and collective effervescence attempt to illuminate the different types of crowds, ranging from the revolutionary to the reverential. In our context, Professor Gaston Gordillo provides an explanation of the force that translates offline resistance into online activism. He identifies this energy as the materialization of something intensely human and very visceral. He calls it resonance, and it's this notion of resonance that's at the heart of the answer we're looking for. Resonance runs deeper than emotions and feelings. It's the pure bodily affect that feelings stem from. In Professor Gordillo's words, resonance is an overwhelming and assertive collective empathy. And it travels from one body to another to another. Another interviewee in Dr. Alexander and Dr. Aurora's research said, quote, you talk to the people you know, and the people you know talk to the people they know, and this is how the word gets round, end quote. Nobleman Runyanga from The Herald alluded to this when he justified the Zimbabwean internet shutdown as an action to stop the spread of subversive ideas. But he was only scratching the surface, using language that was framed in terms of legality and public morality. He missed that the internet enabled not just the spread of ideas, but also the production and reproduction of resonance. The flow of resonance becomes stronger the longer it lasts. It grows, swells and accelerates as it searches for new open spaces. As activists articulate their dissent and desires through text, images and videos, resonance instantly courses through the online spheres of dissidence as a political force. This is why the internet is the perfect channel for revolutionary resonance. And this is why governments shut down the internet in times of unrest and protest. Because the internet is a channel of resonance that they can't monopolise. Because they are threatened. Some of the people I spoke to um, noted that the internet shutdown had a kind of contradictory effect because it signalled, in a way, the government's desperation and, and it created a sense of crisis um, on a much greater scale or it added to the sense of a, of a, of enormous crisis for the for the for the regime. So although it was frustrating not to be able to use the internet, actually some of them felt that it had had a, a very kind of counterproductive effect for the government in terms of of making ordinary people who wanted to use the internet aware of what was happening and the threat that the government perceived from the protests. From this story, it might seem that the internet is the ultimate tool for resonance or that it has displaced all traditional forms of protest. 
But online and digital media aren't the only ways that resonance is generated and amplified. Whilst the internet may be an important space for creating spheres of dissidence, the perception that it's the only space for this can lead to an overemphasis on the technological properties of uh, of the media in question and a kind of technological determinism that would suggest that somehow Facebook liberated Egyptians. Actually, Egyptians liberated Facebook temporarily and made it into a space where organising could happen and that political political ideas challenging the existing regime could be, di- could be discussed. The ultimate and fundamental source of resonance is the physical bodies that march, chant and shout in the streets. The scale of street of mobilisations in the street meant that simple methods like shouting up to people on the balconies overlooking as the protest went down, come and join us, was quite an effective way of building the protest. By that stage, the scale of, of mobilisation was such that the protest itself became a form of, of communication, a form of mass a form of mass media with a message, with slogans, with demands that viewers, watchers from outside could decide whether they should join or whether they should observe or whether they should attack it. And of course, actually, the dynamics were very much that people joined or at least they, they observed sympathetically. Another interviewee said, quote, Twitter and Facebook are not the social network. We are the social network. Turning off the technology doesn't turn off the social network because it's about the people, not about the technology, end quote. So when the internet has been shut down, it's only the original source of resonance that remains, the bodies. But governments can also take repressive action on physical spheres of dissidence created by bodies. This happened in the Egyptian revolution. Basically, thugs were recruited to come and beat up, the, try and smash the, the, the occupation of Tahrir Square. So it, this involved kind of slightly surreal scenes of barricade fighting and somebody trying to charge into crowds of protesters with, uh, with a camel. It also happened in Zimbabwe. In the aftermath of the protests, the Zimbabwe Human Rights Commission published a monitoring report of the situation. It detailed the brute, excessive and disproportionate force used against civilians by members of the Zimbabwe Republic Police and National Army. People's homes were raided in the night. Men were lined up on the ground and beaten with batons, or they were told to outrun the police. Children were arrested and held in the same cells as adults. Zimbabwe's Deputy Chief Secretary, speaking on behalf of President Mnangagwa, declared that the state's response to the unrest was just a foretaste of things to come. The commission described what happened as systematic torture. In 2018, the UN Human Rights Council adopted a resolution that condemned measures taken to prevent or disrupt access to online information. The council also called upon all states to refrain from and seize such repressive measures. Access Now released a joint letter addressed to Zimbabwe's Information and Communications Technology Minister on the day of the shutdown. It said, Internet shutdowns and violence go hand in hand. Shutdowns create a cover of darkness that shields human rights abuses from public scrutiny. We implore you to keep the internet on. After almost a week of being disconnected, the Zimbabwean High Court decided that the blanket directives that ordered the shutdown were unlawful. Operators restored access to the internet. Zimbabwe was connected once again.